Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following episode of Weird Crap in Australia contains depictions of child abduction and rape. Viewer discretion is advised. A strange spiralling white light was spotted in the early morning sky over Sydney with even sceptical witnesses wondering if it was a UFO. They were last seen on the beach with a tall man and that's the best description police have ever had of him. More than 17 years after Harold Holt disappeared into raging surf at Cheviot Beach, his widow has finally revealed his last romantic words. Shocking, terrifying, mesmerising. That's the way a number of Australians have described their alleged encounter with the Yowie. It's time for the Weird Crap in Australia podcast. Welcome to the Weird Crap in Australia podcast. It's episode 108. I'm your host, Matthew Soule, and joining me, of course, in the other seat is a researcher extraordinaire, co-host, Holly Soule. I'm going to need a therapist seat by the end of this podcast. Oh, I think our whole audience is going to need a therapist couch after this episode. <laughs> I'm not saying episode, like after the podcast, like when we eventually wind down, I'm going to have to go see a therapist. Oh, no, I let it go all. away. <laughs> I, I, I take it in. I absorb the knowledge in the moment and then I let it go away and I pretend the world is a happy, lovely place <laughs> as I bang our equipment everywhere. And that's why I believe there are fairies in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> So, we're going to be delving back into the world of serial killers today. Now, if you're aware of serial killers and the most famous ones, you will know that every single country has a mysterious killer, a killer that is almost a phantom in the night, someone that comes in, does whatever they're going to do and disappears. Uh, Great Britain had this. They called him Jack the Ripper. America, of course, had him as well. They called him the Zodiac Killer. And Australia is not immune to the curse of the Phantom Killer. In fact, we have our own. And that man's name is Mr. Cruel. On the 22nd of August, 1987, in Lower Plenty, Melbourne, a man broke into a family home at around 4am by removing a pane of glass from the lounge room window. An 11-year-old girl, who was never identified, was in her bedroom asleep. Her 8-year-old brother was asleep in another room, and her parents were asleep as well. The man who entered the house was armed with a knife and a gun, carrying handcuffs and a nylon cord in a small bag. So let's talk about this MO a little bit here. Um, Very prepared. Mm -hmm. Knows what he's doing. Okay. Um, Just having the bag of stuff there, the accessories, right? He knows how many people he has to detain, hence the fact that he has the equipment ready to do it. He's removed a pane of glass, which of course obviously just suggests that he is somewhat skilled in being a tradesperson. And he's obviously done some surveillance on the area because he knew how much cord he needed to bring. Mm -hmm. Or it could be a happy accident and he's just an overplanner, but this person knows exactly what they want to do. The man stalked into the master bedroom first, forcing the parents onto their stomachs and binding their hands and ankles with handcuffs. The man then crept into the children's bedrooms, leading them back to the parents' room and explaining that he was there to rob them. The parents' handcuffs were replaced with nylon cord, using knots commonly known only by sailors and professional truck drivers, mostly used to tie down loads. The man then tied the eight-year-old boy to the bed and tied the girl's hands with cord. All four were gagged with electrical tape and the children were blindfolded. The man asked for the young girl's name and received it, but he continued to call her Kate throughout the attack. We will as well, just to make it a little bit easier to remember. That's interesting. So he didn't actually know the children's name, but he kept referring her to her as Kate. Yeah. Now, have you ever heard of a displacement killer? Yeah, those are the ones that kill brunettes because their mum was a brunette and they hated her. Simplified, <laughs> but yes. Um, when we think about displacement killers, uh, the, the most prominent one that I can think of, um, because you 
tell me that I have to stick to Australian stories. Uh, for me, I think when it comes to displacement, uh, it's always going to be the Snowtown Boys. Yeah. Because they were murdering who... They were murdering indiscriminately. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't really care who they were murdering, but it, the way they justified it is that they were murdering uh, pedophiles. They were murdering the people who had abused them both as children. And so it was, you know, with Bunting, he was constantly killing his aggressor. Mm -hmm. And that's how he contextualized it in his head. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's going on here is very, very interesting, the way he kept referring to this girl by a name that obviously didn't belong to that girl. Mm -hmm. The man demanded clothes, cash, and a first aid kit. He then said he needed a shower, food, and a shave. He pulled things from the wardrobe and shoved the parents inside it, throwing a blanket over them to stifle their sight. You did it again. What? We've discussed this. The Facebook group told you about this. It's stifled. I don't care. It's how I talk. You can live with it. <laughs> But how come when I make a mistake and the Facebook guys correct us, and thank you for doing that, guys, when you do, you're all like, she she bounces around the lounge because room. Because I've spent 30 years. And she goes, I'm years. right, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right. But when myself and the Facebook group have both told you the correct pronunciation. Because I don't remember it because this is how I've always said it. <laughs> well, it's stifle. Block. <laughs> Blocked their view. Happy. Wait, you're blocking me? How, how can you block me? We live together. I'm just oh, going to hold my hand up like that. Just not going to look at me. Sorry for breaking the tension, <laughs> folks. Back to the horrific murder. It's not a murder. Yep. According to the witnesses, he used the bedroom phone, but there was no record, record of a connection. He toured his way through the house before returning to the master bedroom, making another call. He threatened whomever was on the other end of the phone, then locked the wardrobe door, sealing the parents within. At that point, had he actually had a shave and a shower? Like, had he used their facilities? Yeah. Or they were all tied up, so he used the facilities. That is so... I'm in control bold. of this. <laughs> yeah, that is incredibly bold. Like, you know, dickhead Dennis Rader, he had a bowl of cereal at one of his victims' uh, homes because he was a cereal killer. I fucking just like last podcast on the left. I hate <laughs> BTK. They hate him and I hate him too. Like he's just a sniveling little. Um, but this guy, again, it's a step further from that. Like he is, he's taking over their home. Mm -hmm. He's using their phone. He's communicating. He's, he's threatening someone else using their phone. It's like he's completely taking control of their home. It's almost like he wants a family. And he's taking that family and he's taking that home and he's using that home as he see fits. It's, it's a ridiculous amount of control that this person needs. The man returned to the room with a radio and turned it on in an attempt to drown out the sounds of him assaulting the girl in the bathroom. When he was done, he forced the girl to bathe herself clean and brush her teeth before taking her into the kitchen. Now, not to get into the gritty details here, but when you say assault, are we talking sexual assault? We're talking straight out rape. I'm just going to call it assault, but every instance of assault in this story will be rape. Mm. See, the reason that- There are need, three grades, but yet. Well, see, the reason we need to make a delineation here, mm -hmm. um, just from a technical point of view, is that assault is, you know, being punched. Mm -hmm. Sexual assault is being interfered with. Um, grabbed, molested. You know, grabbed, molested, that sort of thing. Rape is rape. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just wanted to make that clear. Um Every you know. time I say assault, I mean rape. I just don't like using the word, so we're going to go with assault. Also, most of the most of the articles I used I used as references used assault rather than rape because so, because of sensibilities. Well, back in the yeah, you know, we're talking about newspapers from the early nineties, so they're always going to be a little bit more conservative with those sort of terms. Mm -hmm. But I think it's best to call what what crime is is the crime. We should put the disclaimer on the start of the episode saying children were hurt in this episode. Probably don't listen to it if you're going to have a problem with it. Oh, yeah, we should have done that. Sorry about that. <laughs> like, just take that and put it at the front. <laughs> don't listen if you don't if you have a problem yeah. with that. Okay. Once in the kitchen, he ate food, then led her into the lounge room where he raped her again, tying her to a chair. The man left to check on his other prisoners before returning, taking her to the spare room and tying her ankles together. He told the girl to count to 100 before she untied herself and her family before he left. However, as soon as she heard the front door close, she untied herself and ran to her family. 
Now, I've put a little note here because it just popped into my mind when I was reading this case. It has a remarkable amount of similarities to the East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, the Golden State Killer, whatever you want to call him. Golden State, I think, is his official moniker now. Yeah. After he killed someone, that's what it was. But yeah, back then it was East Area Rapist was the first one he got. So his MO was he would break in, he would stack plates and stuff on top of the girls or the family and said, if you move, those plates will tumble and I'll kill her or, yep. you know, something bad will happen to you because he usually had a firearm. Yep. This is almost the same. He just hasn't quite gone to the extent of setting up booby traps to stop them from moving. He's yeah. just locked them in wardrobes. Yeah, it's it's in, it's very interesting to see someone take complete control of a situation. Um, a lot of the times the ster- serial killers that I've studied over the years and not from a professional standpoint, so don't yell at me, psychologist, the amount of books and stuff I've read, it's interesting to see that a lot of them – I would say almost the majority of serial killers seem to be impulsive individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, at least the ones with the higher body counts, they Mm -hmm. seem to be more impulsive. Um, People like uh, Richard Ramirez, for example, he just, oh, look, there's a house with an open window. I'm going to break in and and murder and rape these people. But every now and again, you do get your organized ones, these people that plan every single detail of the situation. The Dexters of the serial killer world. Matthew just went, ugh. Dexter is a bad pop culture. You have to use a pop culture to try and Hannibal Lecter. You know, Hannibal Lecter, he controls his situation. He understands. In spite of you turning around saying, Hannibal Lecter doesn't happen. Yeah. But he does. (laughs) You know, it's more along the lines what I'm trying to get at here is that I often find that your control serial killers, the people that make these large elaborate plans that aren't so off the cuff, those guys generally tend to have a much lower body count. Because mm-hmm. um, they're not not—they're much more picky about who they're choosing rather yes. than it just being, oh, look, stab. However, their fantasies always seem to be much more elaborate. Because mm-hmm. they have time to plan it and live yes. it out in their heads. Um, it is worth noting here that the East Area Rapist was active in the USA from 1974 to 1986, and this took place in 1987. There was plenty of time for all of that information to come to Australia Mm. and him to start moulding it into his own. And we've talked about it briefly before, but this is around the era as well where there is lead petrol being used everywhere. Mm -hmm. And they believe that the mental, like almost like there's mental deterioration in the 70s and 80s was due to like a huge amount of vehicles and uh, they were all pumping out lead exhaust. So a lot of people were suffering from lead poisoning, especially in New York City. Like 70s and 80s, New York City was a very dangerous place to be. And what we've discovered with our own research is 1970s, 1980s Australia was a very dangerous place to be. Yeah, for uh, references, see pretty much every other true crime episode. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, that case was not solved. She was moulded into the Mr. Cruel cases later on down the line, but initially she was never connected to anything else. What, so they never tied the family abduction to Mr. Cruel until way after? The third case. And then they're like, oh, that one's actually got quite a lot to do with these, so it might actually be part Part of the same thing, and that's when all three of them became some of the mainline ones. Of course, this one case would shock everyone, but for the most part, everyone moves on as well. Like, that's one of the things that if you ever talk to someone going through you know, a grief period, they'll always say, oh, like, I expected the world to shut down. I lost the most important person to me, but the world keeps going. Well, just look at coronavirus. The world shut down, and now everyone seems to have forgotten about it. Yeah. So, yeah. It's because our lives change and they sort of normalised a bit. Yeah. Um, and that's generally what people do, and that's what happened with the people of, uh, of Melbourne is this case scared the shit out of them. Everyone was worried, but then life gets back to normal until, of course... Boxing Day 1988. John and Julie Willis took their four children out, returning at about 10pm. The children were fed and put to bed by about quarter to 11, with all four girls sleeping in the same room. The parents went to bed at about 1pm, but the father, John, could not sleep. He sat up doing a jigsaw puzzle until about 5am when he went to bed. Ah, gotta love the era before the internet and constant (laughs) television. everywhere. You know, it's like you could watch TV and late night TV in the 90s. Was not bad though, to be fair, because for me it was like a lot of sci-fi that they had rights to that they just didn't bother putting on. So, like 1990s late night watching for me was shows like Star Trek. Like they put a lot of Star Trek Next Generation Mm -hmm. on. Um, So, you could do that or do a puzzle. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, or read a book. There really wasn't much else to do in the 90s. All of our older listeners are like, ah, the 90s when things were quieter. And even I have my moments where I do the same thing. It's because you're getting old. <laughs> Thank you, Holly. You're welcome. So are you. I know. I hate it. I don't, I, I don't have a wife in her 20s anymore. No, you don't. Too bad. <laughs> At around 5.30 a.m., Mr. Cruel broke in. We have a quote from Victoria Police and FBI dossier on shocking Mr. Cruel child attacks from the Herald Sun. The key had been left inside of the lock. Mr. Krull pushed the key from the lock and onto a piece of newspaper that was then pulled from beneath the door. You know that shitty skit that you see people doing sometimes in crime videos where they've got the bit of wire and they knock the key out and it drops mm. and they pull it? It doesn't work in real life. Well, apparently it actually fucking does because that's what he did. Mm. Well, I mean, you're forcing an object in, like, you can't have two ob- objects occupying the same space at the same time. Well, I didn't think it was actually something you could manage to do. I didn't think they were quite aligned well enough I, to be able to do that. My guess would be that lock technology would probably not be as good and you'd probably have a lot more simplified lock systems. Um, I've, uh, well, I've actually got a friend who's a locksmith. I should uh, shoot him a message and ask him. Um, but uh, it would not surprise me if it was that easy where you could just like shove. Bit of wire. Yeah, that's why you should lock your door and then pull the key out. Mr. Krull burst into the parents' room and turned the light on, holding a handgun. Julie started to scream, so he yanked John from the bed and held the gun to his head, telling her to stop. The parents were forced to lay on their stomachs, and he tied their feet and hands with copper electrical wire. So I would wonder at this point, now, in the previous case, did he have a handgun with him, or is this now escalation? Uh, armed with a knife and a gun, so yeah, he did yeah. have one. Uh, so again, it's it's about this control and m- eliminating the parents from the equation very, very quickly also seems to be part of his MO. I would go so far as to say at this point, we could definitely say that uh, Mr. Krull is probably a sexual sadist uh, who is also a pedophile. Mm-hmm. The most dangerous people you can come across, yep. to be honest. Like when it comes to all serial killers- there are some that you have a chance against. Sexual sadist pedophiles who pick children are one of the hardest things to protect your children from, and they're one of the de- most dangerous people you could come across because for them, the way they work it in their brains, which is rather disturbing, is that the idea of someone suffering in their heads, they eventually rework it to, Oh, they're suffering, but I'm enjoying myself. So they're not really suffering. They're actually enjoying themselves as well. It starts to play into their sexual fantasy. They are very, very dangerous people. Mm -hmm. The man demanded money from the parents, then went through John's wallet and Julie's purse. He cut the phone line, then headed down the hall. Now, one of the girls, Sharon, was awoken by her mother's yell. She lay in bed listening, and when she opened her eyes a little bit, A man was shining a torch in her face, though she was not facing directly at him. He was leaning over her bunk bed to actually shine the torch and see if she'd woken up from the scream. She pretended to be asleep, so he rolled her over, asking if she was awake. Which, if it was me, would probably have fucking woken me up to begin with. Mm. Sharon continued feigning sleep. He left her in the room, but returned again later. He woke Sharon up, and she decided she could no longer pretend to sleep. The man helped her down from the top bunk and grabbed some clothes from her wardrobe. 
He led Sharon out into the lounge room, gathering a coat and demanding Sharon put it on over her night clothes. Now, this is 6 a.m. in December. You wouldn't really need a coat. It would probably be about 25, 30 degrees in Melbourne on Christmas. So I'm going to go into a little bit about why he picked the clothing that he did, but we'll talk. I have a theory as to why he's done this. Well, the coat itself is probably just to hide the fact that she's not dressed if someone sees her. The man stuffed Sharon's clothes inside a shirt, making it easier to carry them, and then carried Sharon out onto the back porch. Sharon started to scream once she was outside, so he shoved a rubber ball in her mouth, which is usually incorrectly um, described in resources as a gag ball. You know, those sexual ones that people yes, use? That's yes. not what it was. Like uh, like the gimps. Yeah. Yep. That's not what it was. It was a little rubber, like a squash ball. He just shoved it in her mouth and then he told her that if she promised not to scream, he would let her go. She promised so he took it out so he could then blindfold her without her being in yeah. the way. Scream. Scream. Make as much noise as you can. Make it as hard even as you can. Even if he beats the shit out of you, keep screaming. Yeah. I, I'd even tell like when it comes to these people, the they're like sharks, mm-hmm. right? The harder you make it for them to be a victim- The less worth the less. Is the less inclined they are, especially this guy who's very much a power control killer, mm-hmm. right? He he likes the, having the power over the people. He likes having control. Disturb it as much as you can, especially because you're outside the door. There are neighbours all around you. You're still in the middle of suburbia and you have that opportunity to yell and scream. Now, to say, you know, this little girl should have done that is unfair. Mm-hmm. You know, a child- Never blame the victim. Yeah, the the child would have been absolutely terrified. But, yeah, if you do find yourself in one of those situations, just be as loud as you can. And one of the best things to scream is just scream fire. Believe it or not, more people are going to respond to that than screaming murder. I'm pretty sure they actually did a study of that on a New York street. I remember reading something like that. And uh, it's a good way to be able to get out of uh, a situation because when someone's trying to maintain control and if you make it as difficult for them as possible, they may still kill you, but at least you made their life a little bit harder before they did optimism (laughs) yeah complying with the serial killer very rarely works the man blindfolded sharon then carried her down the driveway walking in one direction putting her down picking her up again walking in the other direction and then putting her in a car so he was obviously trying to confuse the sense of direction but to do that he should have just spun around we have another quote from victoria police and fbi dossier as he carried her to the car, he reassured her that he wasn't going to hurt her and stated he was going to give her parents a ransom note and that he would return her in the morning when the banks opened and he got his money. Sharon was put in the front of the car and told to stay down. Now, they travelled for a short time when Mr. Cruel asked if she could actually see him. When she admitted that she could, he doubled the blindfold with tape and put a blanket over her head. Now, at this point, she is kneeling in the footwell with her head over the seat, so as far down as she can possibly get. After a while, the car pulled into a driveway and the man carried her into a house, placing her on a bed. He swapped her blindfold for two medical iPads stuck to her head with tape. She was carried into a bathroom and forced to bathe and brush her teeth. You'll remember this happened in the last case, Mm. which is one of the details that helped to connect it. When she was done, she was carried back to the bedroom, where she later told police she heard planes flying overhead. That means a couple of different things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Generally, that you're close to an airport, which means that you can actually zero it down. Using, and I'm not sure why they didn't use these techniques. Maybe they did. Maybe it was never reported on. But once you can have a pretty good idea of a location of a serial killer, you can actually use an algorithm to work out where their hunting ground is. Because you can actually have an origin point. Now, in Melbourne, there's, of course, the big international airport. Tullamarine. Yeah, which gives you a few options. It at least allows you to close the net a little bit more. You also have your victim's location. So using the two houses plus the, the broad location of the airport, that actually should give you relative um, a good killing ground. At the time, though, I'm guessing a lot of that wasn't employed. We have another quote from Victoria Police, an FBI dossier. After assaulting Sharon, he offered her food and gave her a glass of milk and a stale Vegemite sandwich. Mr. Krull told Sharon he was going out. He then leased Sharon to the bed with some type of harness around her neck. 
stale Vegemite sandwich, that to me means that he was torturing her because even under the threat of death, I will never eat a fucking Vegemite sandwich. I don't care. It's torture to me. Why are you looking at me like that? Because I'm not going to help you with that joke. Whatever. <laughs> As I said in a Facebook comment this morning, this is why Matthew tells the jokes. Sometimes you hit him, sometimes you miss him. You know, that was a bit of a I, have, I know there's going to be a lot of comments going, Holly, you are so un-Australian, you don't like Vegemite. Yeah, we it's hate Vegemite. It's uh, fucking horrible. We are <laughs> two Australians that fucking hate Vegemite. It's you not just in watch, our there's going to be people going, so where can I send you tons yeah, of Vegemite? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm going <laughs> to cop it all. We're going to cop tons of shit about this, but I fucking hate Vegemite. It tastes like fucking shit, and I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I don't care if that makes me un-Australian. Um, what that says to me, though, when mm -hmm. it comes to the stale bread, this guy sounds like he has his life put together for his murders. Mm -hmm. The stale bread probably means that he was so fixated on his fantasy, living out the fantasy, because what he's done now is is perfect ex escalation, mm -hmm. okay? First time, he breaks, breaks into a house. He was probably watching them for about a week, maybe two weeks, sussing out his victims. He assaults the first victim, rapes her in her home, mm -hmm. okay? It's quick. He's scared. He's not confident, okay? Mm -hmm. First plan goes off perfectly, probably follows his same procedure again. There's probably been days and days of watching and fantasizing, watching, fantasizing. And in that process, I would guess that going to do some shopping would have probably been right at the bottom of his list. But what he's done now is he's taken his victim out of her environment and put him, put the victim into his. Mm -hmm. Therefore, like the, the control, the domination, everything. He can live his fantasy out exactly how he wants to do it. Mr. Cruel actually left the house for a little bit. And while he was gone, Sharon lifted her blindfold a little bit, looking around the room. Now, she saw a wooden camera tripod set up at the end of the bed, probably ready to film, which means that there is oh. probably videotape evidence of all of his attacks yeah, which, somewhere. Which makes it sound to me, again, calling this guy a, a, a pedophile is, well, it's 100% accurate. And mm -hmm. it looks like if he was filming um, one or two things. One, it's for personal use, but generally when it comes to pedophiles, they like to share all their material around. Just ask the Catholic Church. They'll let you know all about that. And what is probably going on here is there could very well be a network of people. Um, you know, we've we've talked about it, like the prolificness of pedophile serial killers in Australia they and the it, family murders guys had to go somewhere. <laughs> well, that's it. You know, we we look at the constant child abductions in South Australia. We then look at now we've got a Mr. Cruel in Melbourne. While at the There's same time, missing kids in Queensland. Queensland, you know, and was there an, a, a pedophile ring operating around that era? It's really fucking hard not to line up the dots. Now it could all be coincidence. I've said that before on multiple podcasts. But it's the more we research this, the more it is becoming clear that there was a haven for pedophiles everywhere. Everywhere. And they I would even go so far as to say at least some of them were connected with each other. Mm -hmm. When Mr. Cruel returned, he made her bathe again, raped her again, then forced her to bathe again. So he obviously has a big problem with cleanliness. He wants her clean all the time. Yep. Not only does not only does he want her clean to eliminate evidence of what he's been doing, um, especially again, you know, we're talking about an era where DNA technology was not even really thought of. Like the, the it was nowhere near widespread. Yeah, it was it wasn't widespread at that time. Um, so the only thing that you can really do is uh, blood match semen mm -hmm. at that time. The first lot of cleaning is for him. Mm -hmm. He wants, for whatever reason, I don't know, um, whatever his motivations are here, maybe he wants her as pure and as clean as possible before he does this disgusting act. Remember, in the 87 attack, he got the girl to brush her teeth and clean mm. before yeah. he took her away to assault her. Yeah, right there, there could be a, um, a, a hygiene aspect to it, something along those lines. The next lot of washing and cleaning, that's evidence removal. Mm -hmm. 
Or maybe it could be part of his psychosis too, where he's like, okay, she's now clean and, and re-pure and, and I haven't touched her at all. That too. You know, that could be part of it. Sharon was left leashed to the bed for a while, with the man occasionally checking on her to ask how she was. After a few hours, he took her to have a shower instead of a bath, making her wash her hair as well as her body. She was forced to step into a garbage bag, still blindfolded, and he pulled a shirt from her house over her head. He pulled the bag up over her, securing it with tape, then forced another bag over her head, piercing a hole so she could breathe. He carried her out to the car, drove her around. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ground for a while, and he eventually stopped. He carried Sharon for a little bit, putting her down a few times as he rested. Sharon later told police he was jogging while holding her, so he's definitely not an unfit man. It's going, it's it's a long process what this guy mm-hmm. is trying to do. Like, he's obviously trying to throw her off the, the I, I think at this point, uh, he is still in that period of the fantasy versus reality where it's like, there's still he he still has enough control to not murder them, mm-hmm. and he still has enough control to return them. Mm-hmm. So that's that that tipping point, you know, before the fantasy escalates to the point where disposal of a body is preferable to returning a victim. Mister Cruel eventually put Sharon down and gave her directions to a nearby supermarket. He removed the bags and the blindfold, then warned her not to look at him while he left. Sharon Willis was released at Baywater High School, six kilometres from her home, after only 18 hours in captivity. A woman found her standing on a street corner just after midnight. And we have another quote from Victoria Police and FBI dossier. In a remarkably calm voice, Sharon told the woman, My name's Sharon Wills, and I was taken from home earlier this morning. A man left me here and told me to go and ring home. The woman said Sharon was incredibly brave. She was rather bright, really. I was quite surprised, she said. I thought she would have been a bit worse for wear, but she was really good. I just brought her home and gave her a drink and she was quite happy. The woman rang police and Sharon was quickly reunited with her distraught parents. It was theorised that both the victim of the Lower Plenty and the Sharon Willis case were selected after the perpetrators saw their photographs in the local newspaper, as both had actually appeared in the paper in the weeks or months before their abduction. Which means you're talking about a local. Mm -hmm. He's reading the newspaper. He's reading the local newspaper. He's selecting his victims. And my guess is at first the photos probably were part of his, you know, ritualistic fantasies. Mm -hmm. And over time the fantasy grew and grew and grew and the compulsion grew until he had to abduct these children, Mm -hmm. which means he's been surveilling them for a long time. Yes. So just be careful, Facebook fans, when you put all your Facebook photos out there and you uh, link up your location. Believe it or not, you're making it a lot easier than it used to be. That's why they advise you don't actually put photos of your kids on Facebook. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It's a really, it it is one of those. It's a lot easier to do that than it is to find someone in a newspaper. Well, it's like your um, uh, your brother's partner, well, sister-in-law, for lack of a better term, because they're not married. uh, She doesn't post any photos of the kids generally, does she? At all. Yeah, smart girl. Mm -hmm. After this, we had a little bit of a break, but. Mr. Cruel did eventually strike again. This is what we call the cooling off period. Yeah. Okay. With most 
serial killers, sexual status, what they'll do is fantasy builds, 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 builds. Then they enact the fantasy. Then they have a calling off period. And that, uh, usually they'll tell themselves like, oh, it was just the one time. I'm not going to do it again. I slept. Oh, I fell you off know, the bandwagon. God damn it. I'll yeah. do better next time. So, some do. Some some have this really long calling off period. BTK had tons of calling off periods. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the rest of the serial killers were sort of covered here on the podcast, they didn't really have a calling off period to a point. They tended to have you know, a pretty decent Rate of attack. Yeah, yeah. Even like when Malat, like he went from raping those two women to murdering people. Mm-hmm. Once he started murdering, he was off to the races, and he mm-hmm. very rarely had the, these cooling off periods. Um, but yeah, this is what we're experiencing right now: is this guy is having a cooling off period. Rosemary and Brian Linus had spent the last three years living in Canterbury, Melbourne, on a brief stint before returning to England. They, along with their daughters, Fiona and Nicola, were preparing to fly out on August 4, 1990, but they intended on moving out of their rented house on July 4th into a rented apartment. The Linus parents left the house at 7.50pm on the 3rd of July, heading out for a farewell dinner with friends. They were picked up from their home by the friends, so the family car remained in the driveway, giving the impression that the parents were at home. That's smart. A pizza was delivered to the house at 10.05pm because the girls were hungry, so they ate their dinner. When they headed for bed, Nicola dragged her mattress from her room into her sister's for company while their parents were out. Now, Fiona went to bed at 10.45pm and Nicola followed her out at about 15 minutes later. How often were you left at home by yourself? Quite often because my parents had bowling on Wednesdays. (laughs) Do you remember at what age they were comfortable doing that? Um... Well, we, mum and dad had a bo- were part of a bowling league, and part of their team, they also had kids. So I know the older brother was Joel, and I think the younger kid was Rachel, but I can't remember. Because Joel was thirteen or so when I was nine, he was usually left in charge of us. Right, right. I remember that from maybe about eight or nine up until we moved at ten, but I don't know how long it went on. I always, I think it was around, I want to say around the 12, year, like 12 years old, 13 year old mark, where it's like you're smart enough to know better with most things. But see, we all, we lived outside of town mm-hmm. on a, a sort of a little rural property that we had. So in the, in the case of leaving us at home, I felt like the, there was less things that could go wrong out there than there could in town. My parents were more comfortable leaving us at home of a night on our own than mm. they were during the day because I remember Nen would always look after us up until I was about 16 during the day after she picked us up from school. Hmm, that's interesting. But, yeah, when they went bowling, they were happy to leave us under the care of a 13-year-old. <laughs> I mean, look, 13 years old is when you start doing, like, babysitting and stuff. But it's like I now, yeah. I, I think of myself like now as a 32 in December, 31-year-old mm-hmm. man at the moment. I'm like, how the fuck was 13-year-old me trusted with anything? Like, we, we were allowed to play with matches. Like, how did I not burn down the fucking house? Wait, you were allowed <laughs> to play with matches? Well, the clicker didn't work on the stove. So, in order to light it to turn the two-minute oh, right, noodles right. on, you had to turn use the matches. Makes sense. <laughs> Just microwave the noodles. The microwave was way up there. I couldn't reach it. I was easier to reach the stove. (laughs) (laughs) Here, play with some fire. Be gone, you. Fire is fine. At around 11.20pm on July 3rd, a man forced his way into the house through the parents' window. He slipped into the room where the girls slept and woke Nicola by tapping her on the head with his knife. We have a quote from Victoria Police and FBI dossier. He made demands for cash and led Nicola and Fiona to their parents' bedroom, telling them he was looking for money. Once in the main bedroom, he rifled through Miss Lane's wallet. He didn't take anything, despite there being four hundred—sorry, uh, despite there being four thousand dollars in travelers' checks. Both girls were forced to lie on their parents' bed on their stomachs. Fiona was hogtied with wire, while Nicola was taken to the kitchen, where he rifled through Mrs. Liner's purse. The man cut the telephone line and took the family's car keys. He, he led Nicola to the bedroom where he went through cupboards and drawers. He took some clothes before telling Nicola to get dressed. I'm sorry, I keep changing the way I pronounce it, but it's either Nicola or Nicola. and It's called Nikki by most people, so I'm just going to go Nicola. 
Nicola put on a bright mismatch of clothes, possibly actually in an effort to draw easier identification. Possibly. (laughs) Well, I'll get you to read out a quote of exactly what she was wearing and you Mm. can see the rainbow that she was wearing. She kept her turquoise pyjama bottoms on, put on a white t-shirt with two rugby emblems on each side of the front. One was a rooster and the other a kangaroo and slipped into her Presbyterian Ladies College School blazer. While she was dressing, Mr. Krull put the clothes he was stealing into Nicole's Ken Dunn bag. So it would be very bright if someone was to see them. One of the things as well here is that Mr. Krull also selects different items of clothing for his victims to wear. Mm-hmm. Once again, it's playing into his fantasy. This dude is not living in the real world. He is living in his fantasy world, which if you're a science fiction author, excellent. That's exactly where you want to be. Dungeons and Dragons. When you're a pedophile serial abuser, it's a very dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. But that's why he selects a lot of the clothes that he does as well, I'm sure. Because some of, like with most of the cases, he also grabs their school uniform. Some of them, yeah. yeah. The man led Nicola back to her parents' bedroom where he quizzed the girls on their pa- father's job, then informed Fiona that he was taking her sister and he wanted a $25,000 ransom. Not a bad ransom for 1990. What's that, 25K? Probably worth about 100K these days. Inflation hasn't gone up that much. It's worth about 30. You think so? Yeah. We could probably, there's probably a calculator we could look up. Oh, quite easily, but I can't be bothered because it was 1990. (laughs) It's not that long ago. Um, One of the things that I wanted to talk about here was you asked me whether there were recordings of uh, phone calls or whether he'd sent letters or anything. And I explained to you. Yeah, I thought he had. I thought he'd made calls to the police and things like that. No, what he'd actually done was every bit of communication that was indirectly given to the police came through the victims or witnesses. Okay. He never actually put his name down to anything. He never put his voice down to anything or his handwriting. He wanted to quietly go about his fantasies. Pretty much, He didn't want no... There are some serial killers that want notoriety. Again, the piece of shit BTK, he wanted notoriety. Uh, Zodiac Killer wanted notoriety. Jack the Ripper wanted notoriety. Mm -hmm. This guy does not want attention. It's probably why he executes his plans as tightly as he does. Try and avoid all bugs. Mm. As the man led Nicola out, Fiona looked at the clock on the bedside table. 11.47 p.m. This actually gives the police an exact concrete time to start working on their timelines. Unfortunately, at midnight, all of 13 minutes later, the Linus parents arrived home. So he was- That's heartbreaking, isn't it? Well, he was timing that shit down to a T in order to avoid that. Or he was guessing. Because if you look at a couple of things there- taking the keys from the car Mm -hmm. in order to avoid escape. I don't think he was trying to make it so that the girls would not escape. I think he assumed that the parents were there. My, go ahead. He actually took the keys to use the car. That's what I'm saying is he took the keys so that he thought maybe the parents were still there. Um, The the fact that he's missed them by about 10 minutes also says to me that he didn't realize that they weren't going to be in the house um does this guy really come across to you as someone who would not this guy comes across to me as someone who would sit in the bushes realize that the parents were going out and go all right i've got time all right all the lights are out they should be asleep let's go i mean possibly i mean there is a surveillance angle which we discussed as well but leaving it within 10 minutes or He's just the sort of guy that seems to plan everything out and the risk of the parents returning while he's mid uh, abduction just doesn't seem to gel with who this guy is for me. One of the things, I don't know if I actually put it in the notes, so I'll skip it if I find it, Mm. is that because they were going away, they were going back to England after three years of living in Australia, the parents were going out to a lot of farewell dinners and farewell parties and stuff, so they were frequently out of the house. So maybe he's been watching their patterns and sort of noting. Right, they're always going out on a Friday yep. night, and so when, I can strike on a Friday night. And when they do go they out, usually this is come generally back about how midnight. Long for. Yeah, that is terrifying to think that someone is sitting across from you watching and waiting. It's one of the reasons that I like to muck around with our routine a lot. That's that's one thing as well. Being in a routine is great, but try and be spontaneous. You know, just be be spontaneous a little spontaneous. Spontaneous. Spontaneous, thank you. 
try and be spontaneous often. You know, if, if a friend calls up and says, hey, would you like to go out to a movie? Make sure you do that every now and again when movie theaters reopen. But you get my point. Yeah. Nicola was bundled out of the house and into the family car. He told her to kneel in the footwell and keep her head down. He then covered her face with a baseball cap so she couldn't see him. I don't know if you've ever done it, but people wearing a cap and you just smack it down so it covers their eyes. That's yep. pretty much what he did. The man drove the car a short distance, then stopped and covered her eyes with tape. He then added a balaclava before driving to Chauncer Avenue, where he pulled Nicola out of the car. She was bundled into another car, pushed down into the footwell, then driven to an unknown location. Once there, the man led her to the bedroom, then underwent his normal ritual. We have another quote from Victoria Police and FBI dossier. She was taken straight to the bedroom after entering the premises. A radio was playing in the room. Mr. Krull took the tape from her eyes and replaced it with surgical type cotton eye pads. He then took her to the bathroom and made her clean her teeth and take a bath, telling her it was necessary as he didn't want to leave any forensic evidence which could identify her. Uh, identify him, sorry. He called her Nikki during the time that he held her captive. That's a big one because now he's actually referring to her by her actual name. And her nickname, I doubt very much that Fiona would have mentioned her nickname while they were talking for lack of a better term. Yes. So is this an individual that, again, is he picking his targets from newspapers, which could be the case, uh, you know, or is this a case of someone who was close enough to her parents to know who the children were, uh, to know the, the nicknames of the children? I also just realised as Both you were reading terrifying. that there's a slightly different spin on him getting them to bathe. It's to get traces from them not sticking to him and his world. That's quite possible, but the fact is that he's putting them into his car, uh, which means that he's already it's leaving not traces always of evidence his everywhere. Car, though. True. Um, but yeah, it's there's there's one basic principle of being a detective, which is quite often scattered through uh, Batman graphic novels, which is how I actually looked into it. Regardless of how stringent you think you are, the person committing the crime will leave some of the evidence of who they are at the location and they will pray, take evidence from you back to their location. You know, yes, he had him wash, he had him bathe, et cetera, et cetera. That leaves hair everywhere. Now, of course, we're not talking about the era of DNA, so it doesn't really matter to have, you know, they had hair follicle experts and shit like that, but it's the same with bite impression experts. They weren't. They're not they're the right. top tier. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're not the top tier of forensic evidence. Um, but, yeah, if that is his angle where he's like, I don't want evidence, but I don't know, I think he prepared them. I think he, he, the, he treated these young girls like dolls. He wanted to have a perfect fantasy. He wanted to have them uh, situated the way he wanted them. He wanted them clean and fresh and new in the clothing that he had selected. I just think he's too... I, I, I get what he's saying to them to get them to comply, but my perspective is this dude is very meticulous in his fantasies and that's why he's doing it. The man led her back to the bedroom and raped her, then leashed her to the bed. He actually put a brace around her neck and used, I think it was actually a dog leash, to tie it to the bed so yep. she couldn't get away. Control, power. He turned the radio off, then fell asleep lying next to her, which is something that I find to be absolutely fucking terrifying. It's part of the fantasy. Yeah, but I would find it fucking terrifying. I would too. I'd even, you know, I would go back to what I said earlier when I suggested this dude's a, uh, a sexual sadist. I'd probably say that maybe a little bit too far mm -hmm. uh, because, well, obviously it depends on what you call a sexual sadist. When it comes to me... Torture, mutilation definitely plays into the more extreme side of sexual sadism. Um, obviously, dude's a rapist, pedophile, serial abuser. It's just the way he does things. It's, it's so, it just screams fantasy, fantasy, fantasy. When we read about these things, like laying next to her and going to sleep, it's like she's his girlfriend, isn't it? Mm. She later told police that there were no sounds through the night, though she heard planes the next morning, which means that, it, again, 
situated close to Tullamarine Airport. I don't understand how they weren't door knocking every single fucking house in, in that area. Right. Spoiler alert, they door knocked 30,000 houses. Okay, I take it back. They were doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> the man woke at around 10 a.m., then turned the radio on. Nicola used the radio in order to tell how much time actually passed. He raped her again at around 11am, then fell asleep. When he woke between 12.30pm and 2.30pm, he unleashed her, carried her to the bathroom and assaulted her again. Jesus Christ. Dude's got his fantasy girl. He's losing control. Uh, We have another quote from Victoria Police and FBI dossier. Mr. Krull told Nicola he had followed her home from school and that he had a schoolgirl fantasy, which is probably the case. Yeah. He took her to the kitchen and made her dress in her school dress and assaulted her. After the assault in the kitchen, Mr. Krull gave Nicola a glass of water, returned her to the bedroom, and released her to the bed. He told her he was going to dress her in her tennis skirt and following day, and then he went to sleep. Failing to sleep the night before, Nicola actually dropped off for a while. Once again, the man woke at 10am and turned the radio back on. This had obviously become another part of his ritual. He made her bathe, took her to the kitchen and raped her again. When he was done, he took her to the bedroom and told her he wasn't going to assault her again. Her legs were tied together with wire and between 4 and 5pm he gave her bread to eat. And about- Looking after your victims, yo. Well, you got to keep him alive to a point. Uh, About 5pm, he told Nicola that he and a friend had been looking for areas suitable to drop her off. He had a newspaper with him and told her it was the sun. That quote comes from the Victorian Police and FBI dossier, which is pretty much our main source for this. I use three main articles. It's just that different victims were highlighted, I guess, in different articles. So we might not use them all this time, but we'll use them next time. At 11.45pm, Nicola was taken to the bathroom and forced to shower standing on a sheet. He apparently spoke to someone whilst she was there, but there was no other indication that anyone else was in the house. Possibly someone, Jehovah's Witness, uh, someone checking the gas meter. Police reckon he was just trying to give the impression of someone else being there. there was someone else there. At which point you start moving stuff around so that it sounds like someone's walking... Do it properly. Sh- showering on the sheet is an interesting thing um, because that's obviously used to collect things like I was talking about earlier, being hair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he wants to collect any evidence that could link him, which is a scary thought mm-hmm. because if he knows to go to those levels, it probably means we're talking about someone in law enforcement. Or someone very close to them. Exactly. The man forced her to dress, then hurried her from the house. She was forced into the footwell of the car in the driveway and forced to stay down with a new sheet over her. The man got into the other side of the car and became agitated when the car wouldn't start. Because his perfect plan isn't working at the moment. It's a something that for the rest of us would mm-hmm. be, oh, this is a slight annoyance. But for him, it, it's going to drive him insane. As he was repeatedly trying to start the car, he told Nicola that the car had been stolen by his friend. Again, his friend is probably, you know, that person he was talking to in the house. him. When the car started, he drove them off. The car stopped to get petrol. Then he drove her to the area where she was eventually found. The man took the sheet from her, walked her around for about five minutes, then stopped. He removed the tape over her eyes, warning her not to look at him, then gave her a change of clothes to put on. He changed his mind on the location, however, and forced her to walk for another three minutes. The man told her to count for a while, then find someone and ring the police. We have another quote, same article. I'll drop you off at a place and change of clothes, and you have to wait for 10 minutes. Then you can walk to a police station. I'll give you directions to the police station. And that's a quote from Mr. Cruel. So those are the types of sophisticated language we're talking about here. Nicola was dumped in front of a substation in Kew, Melbourne, five kilometres from home, just before 2am on July 6th. Unfortunately, that was her 14th birthday. (sighs) What a fucking way to remember your 14th birthday. Mm. But on the upside, you weren't killed. So I guess that's a good thing. 
Six days later, the Linus family left Australia for England and they have not returned since. Police have had to go over there to get interviews. Yep. They won't ever return here for obvious reasons. I mean, number one, they were they were moving regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, they would now have a daughter who was abducted and raped, um, which means one of two things. Either the family is going to ignore it, which does happen, or there's going to be, and I'm not suggesting that they did, like we just don't really know, and they kept it private for obvious reasons. Um, the other option is that you now have to put your child into a a safer situation, surrounded by more family, in an area that they're comfortable with, far away from the attack. Literally the other side of the planet. And a lot of extensive therapy for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. As simple as that. The problem is as well for- for people who are raped at such a young age, the trauma causes, uh, unfortunately, it's it's almost like an evolutionary kickback. But what happens is that people who have been assaulted actually have really, really good recall mm-hmm. in the future. Which is um, shit. Which also means that they generally are able to recall the, um, the, the attack very, very well. So there's a lot of psychological damage. So no one could blame these people for wanting them to get the fuck out of Australia as soon as they could. Yeah. Um, and I could understand, you know, six days later they wanted to be out. There's also the fact that they're like, they don't know if he's going to come back. So mm. they take her and they run. Yeah. Uh, we have one more quote from retiring veteran Detective Chris O'Connor says the unsolved Mr. Cruel case still haunts him. The main reason they are confident Mr. Cruel attacked the 11-year-old Lower Plenty girl and Sharon Wills and Nicola Linus is each girl survived and each was able to provide submission information to confirm the same man attacked each of them, although they were never able to identify him. No, again, Nicola and Sharon were in a newspaper within a couple of weeks of when they were abduct- abducted. So they identify that that's probably how he found them, but it still doesn't explain how he knew where they lived. Mm. And we will leave it there for this week, folks. Rather chilling tale, but it's only halfway through uh, the story of Mr. Cruel. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a very, very scary story. So we're going to leave it at that. Uh, We've got uh, part two coming for you very, very soon. Uh, First thing I'd uh, like to do, of course, is invite you all to join us in our social media family. You can find us on Facebook. We are Weird Crap in Australia. You can find us on Instagram under the same name. And you can find us on Twitter. We are at Weird Crap Oz, A-U-S. And uh, don't forget to uh, shoot us those emails through as well to weirdcrapinaustralia at gmail.com. Uh, recently, we've been receiving all these lovely messages from we you guys. Three messages in two days. And, it was yeah. awesome. <laughs> Keep them coming through because it's always really, really good to know that uh, this little macabre freak show that we like to uh, move around the internet uh, seems to make some of you guys happy or at least give you uh, some entertainment. Give you a boost on Mondays. Yeah. <laughs> Take you away from the, the, the doldrums of... Uh, regular existence so we're happy that you're happy and when you tell us that you're happy it also makes us happy so we're in a feedback loop uh, one of the ways you can support the show as well is by heading to Patreon. You can find us where we crap in Australia. Just type that into the search bar. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, there's some bonuses there from exclusive merchandise as well as bonus content. Once a week, we produce one mini episode just for our Patreon supporters. There's a big thank you for helping uh, for, for helping to support the show. So you can find us on Patreon. Now, if you'd like to get yourself some weird crap in Australia swag, you can find it at our Redbubble store. Just type in weird crap in Oz, A-U-S dot redbubble.com. That will take you to our store. You'll see all these fantastic designs produced by our artist Ignacio. And uh, there are also links as well if you'd like to commission him for some artwork. So uh, you can check all that stuff out. Uh, Now, I want to do a quick correction from a previous episode. Uh, We got a photo through from one of our fans, Sue. And we wrongly assume that uh, Sue was sh- sending us a photo of her grandmother wearing the shirt. In fact, it was actually Sue, and Sue has multiple weird crap in Australia su- shirts. So I wanted to make that correction because, Sue, you may have just become one of our most awesome uh, granny podcast listeners, which I think is really cool. I find it amazing that people who are a lot older than us really want to listen to it. 
us droning on and on and on. I think that's because most of our lives, the older people in our lives have been telling us to sh- sit down and shut up. So, you know, it's cool. Like that we that we have people like Sue. And don't forget, you're only as old as the man you're feeling. So I hope you're feeling a very young man. <laughs> Fair enough. Can't argue with that one. All right. So we will leave it there. Don't forget the conclusion to Mr. Crawl will be coming up next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you lock those doors, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, just have a peek out every now and again because someone may be watching you through the window. Don't leave the kids at home on their own. We'll see you next week for more weird crap in Australia. Bye. This has been a production of The Modern Meltdown. For more podcasts just like it, head to themodernmeltdown.net.